Hello and welcome to Digfin Vox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you like what we're doing at Digfin Vox, please like, share, subscribe, do all that internet-y stuff, help us bring more traffic to the program. Big question is, as banks are looking to provide instant services, particularly in payments, but in all kinds of ways, to a clientele that now just expects it to be real time, how is their legacy infrastructure managing to keep up? My guest today is Roland Brandley, head of Payment Control Center at SmartStream Technologies in Dubai. Roland Brandley, thank you so much for coming on to Digfin Vox. A pleasure to meet you. So we're going to be talking about a really big topic today, uh, payments, real-time payments, contactless payments. Uh, financial institutions and fintechs love this, uh, and consumers love it, but it turns out that there's a snag. It's really hard to manage all this stuff with, uh, with, with systems that weren't built for purpose. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what's going on and why are banks finding it suddenly a little bit difficult to manage this wonderful world of, uh, of faster payments? Uh, well, it is a wonderful world, definitely, especially if I'm a consumer. And as a consumer, obviously, my expectation is instant. Um, that's been catalyzed, obviously, um, by the pandemic as well, because we weren't allowed to go outside anymore. So everybody is digital. Um, on the other hand, the complication around it is quite significant. Um, the data sets are changing, they're getting much larger. So everyone is moving to what you call ISO 20022, um, which basically encompasses around 2,700 fields in total. And if you look at a normal payment, you're looking at maybe six, 700 fields where before you might have had 30 or 40. So ISO so, 20022, just to make sure that everybody understands that, there's, this is an international standards organization, kind of the UN of standards. They agreed years ago, this new standard that everybody's gonna use so they can send messages and understand one another, whether it's payments or securities or what have you, right? Exactly. And now we're on this and it turns out that there's, so what, what's the problem with this, this standard that everybody's been trying to move to? Well, the problem with the standard is in itself is, is that the standard is describing a format okay. in which data is delivered but it doesn't describe a syntax. And so what is what it, so the language that we use, the specific exactly. terms? It doesn't describe where each field gets populated, okay? So that leaves people at liberty to populate those fields as they see fit. And every infrastructure provider sees with that obviously an opportunity, okay? To establish themselves in the market. And most of the time, they define their uniqueness by having a unique syntax, okay. which keeps clients. They all move at different speeds as well. So, you know, Swift has one speed, the ECB with target two has another speed, a local RTGS has another speed. And so this makes it extremely complex for banks to maintain. It also makes it quite expensive because each one has their own little individual ways of delivering the data. 
So we're looking at a situation where this idea that everything's interoperable and seamless might be true within somebody's little fiefdom, their ecosystem that they create, their bilateral or multilateral relationships with customers. But when it comes to dealing with the rest of the world, which you have to when you're dealing with moving payments around, moving money around, securities around, then that, that sort of that glossy idea doesn't always work. Not yet, no. Not yet. Uh, and I think we will see that the organizations, the international organizations such as SWIFT, et cetera, will try to bring some more clarity into this. But that is still an evolution to take place. So the problem we face today has to be dealt with today because in much the same way, the customer now expects instant. Right. Okay. So we need instant, but instant is hard when you have this complexity that customers have no clue about. And probably a lot of people in the industry don't even really understand it. If they're doing product or sales, they just expect it to work. And then somebody in the operations of the IT team says, but I've got, what is it like 700 different fields that I have to somehow my language has to match the language of that other bank or that central bank or that real-time gross settlement payment network. And they're all using their own language, their own terminology. And this is creating costs. So on the one hand, you mentioned that there's some competitive advantages to doing things your own way. I guess a bit of a land grab in the world of, of real-time payments. At the same time, it seems that Everybody has to pay a higher cost. So uh, is there a, a net beneficiary out of this status quo, or is it just human nature? We're sort of rushing headlong for the for what looks like the good stuff, and it turns out that it's there's a hidden cost. Yeah, I think I mean people always imagine them to be themselves to be the net beneficiary. They're the ones that are gonna get the step ahead. They're the ones that are gonna conquer a market they previously couldn't. Um, in effect, that net beneficiary doesn't always exist. Yeah, um, that's just something we would all like to do. So it does come down to what you say. Um, it is an, an element of human nature, but we try. And then as we go along that road, we potentially realize that we have to correct. Right. Now, I think we're, we've been framing this discussion under the assumption that systems aren't built for purpose. Is that true of newer, say like uh, somebody builds a virtual bank from scratch uh, or a FinTech establishes a new type of, of payment service. Um, are we seeing any differentiation between these kinds of new players versus you know, the, the, large, the large banks and, and, and payment processors? Well, those guys definitely have an advantage um, because they don't have a huge amount of legacy, off, or legacy systems. Okay, so they can begin from the very outset at designing a just-in-time process, um, which enables instant better. Um, established banks obviously have a difficulty that their technology stacks, which work very well, were never designed to be instant. They were always designed for a T plus zero, T plus one environment. They're obviously going to now have to look at potentially renewing a lot of their technology stack. So to a certain extent, the fintechs and, and the neo banks have a head start there. Right. Um, other banks obviously match that with their experience because it's always good having a head start, but you also need to know what you're, what you're doing. Um, 
But I think what we'll fundamentally see is, is a change in the tech stacks. And I also think that even being a neobank or, or a fintech, um, not always is that available. So, you know, they will either have to build themselves, which I think we've seen over the last 30, 40 years does not work very well, or they'll have to wait, select, or choose vendors that are already in a position to provide this sort of technology. So I don't think it's always a head start because obviously there's a lot of capital cost involved with that as well. All right. So it's a money that a lot of, pro uh, it's a problem that a lot of money can solve, I guess. A lot of money, but it also is very much important to choose who you're dealing with because um, as we all know, um, fintechs have great ideas and new people have great ideas, but sometimes, you know, we forget the very substance on which those ideal ideas need to be built. So I can talk about simple processes where today I speak to users, they don't really understand, but the process they're conducting is because it's a regulatory requirement. If they don't do it, um, they'll lose their banking license. They're not even aware of that because that was, a, uh, uh, how would you say, a theme, a subject 30 years ago. Right. And we're still living with what was important 30 years ago? Well, the regulations, I mean, double entry bookkeeping hasn't changed. Right, that's right. Uh, 14th, 15th century. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, certain principles don't change. So no matter how great your ideas are, you still have to manage to keep those paradigms. Yeah. So to that extent, then legacy systems uh, have been around and I, I often talk to banks or, or insurance companies or whomever uh, whatever the topic is, and you know, they often come up against this problem. I mean, they've been rubbing up against this problem about legacy systems, probably at least for the past 10 years. And it's been very, very difficult for anybody to really move the dial. Uh, I often will be told, oh, well, just plug in like a, a middleware solution, uh, some sort of like bus that sits in the middle. And I just plug in this spaghetti worth of wires on one end and another spaghetti bowl of wires on the other end and presto, it works. Um, for for real-time payments or anything that's instant, is, is that a solution? No, I don't think it is. It just makes it more complex. And I think that is the change, yeah. Um, we literally are at a turning point in technology and banks. So we had that once 20, 30 years ago when we started off with what is now legacy systems. Um, but the world has changed drastically in the last 10 years, yeah? So a middleware would only really serve to make it even more complex whilst not really addressing the problem. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think we literally are, you know, it's a bit like also, I like the car industry because it is very much ahead of its time. It's a bit like saying, all right, so we're now gonna take a petrol car, take the engine out and put in an electric engine. Doesn't work. Right. right. Um, you're going to have to build the platform, everything from scratch. And with all the advancements, cloud technology, all the security requirements, all the upcoming um, regulatory requirements that we see, um, you know, we're at a turning point in um, technology. Banks technology were built before smartphones. Yeah. Yeah. That has changed the world, the app world, the 
you know, the operating systems, the delivery systems, it's completely changed in the last 10 years. Okay. Where does that leave chief technology officers, COOs? Um, they've got an immediate problem, which is they have to provide that instant payment or that instant service today. And then they've got this kind of this massive infrastructure or architecture problem uh, that some of them have perhaps been looking at, but most of them have probably been just hoping it won't won't all fall down on them. Um, so when you talk to to banks, uh, how, how do you kind of help them walk through some of the options they've got? Well, I think there are two things. One is always, you know, you will never if you want to keep business continuous, you're going to have to, to a certain extent, accept stopgap solutions, right? Um, but on the other hand, it's really about engaging in a much bigger discussion and looking at how does this change the IT strategy, the IT architecture? What are the sorts of technologies that will be viable? And it's very important there also to think about viable technologies are not just technologies that sound great they have to be proven especially in banking so you know whilst there's always a wide array of variants that you could choose for um in banking we always have to make that compromise and make sure that we use proven and tested technology um and i think it is it's a there's a couple of fundamental architectural discussions that are needed what are the sorts of technologies that we need to select in future in order to enable that transition? Yeah. When I, when I, a lot of my day-to-day -day is talking to people that they're, they're talking about uh, usually some form of either AI or cloud or blockchain, you know, whatever it is that they specialize in, um, or, or it's a consultant who you know wants to be paid $200,000 to, to tell banks what to do. Um, what's the what is the way they need to think about this? This doesn't sound like it's just like, let's get a couple of uh, vendors in and, uh, you know, open up the toolkit and, you know, lay down some cable. Well, I think, you know, those are buzzwords, okay, that are very, very you know, people love to use them. Um, I just did a demonstration to, to a very good friend of mine um, who, who is the COO of a bank. And they came back to us and, uh, and it was around our AI tool that we have. Uh, and their feedback was that's the first time we've actually seen something working. Yeah, so I think AI is very difficult. It's, it's, it's sort of like the golden bullet that you hold in front of people's head, you know, or noses. Um, and then, oh, we'll see where it can bring us. Um, so I think it will be fundamental. It will make, it will change our business. Um, it's very important both to really establish the use case um, and really establish what are the benefits. I think something very similar applies to blockchain. Um, blockchain has huge benefits that it can present. I don't think necessarily that is going to be very quickly in a mass market like payments. But as we've seen in places like trade finance, um, collateral, that sort of thing, it does present huge benefits and it is something that will come. Right. Um, but ultimately, it's not just those new technologies that will solve the problem. I mean, cloud is, is a great thing, 
Yeah, I mean, but, um, you know, we also know that clouds are not 100% resilient. They are very resilient, but they also pose a, a brand new question around security, which we see trickling down even to systems that are on premise within banks. Yeah. So yes, these are questions. So if someone manages to answer all your questions on the cloud, you're probably sure that he has software that is up to date in terms of security requirements. Yeah. Um, and potentially if he's cloud native, he also can handle scalability. So that's a very good direction to go in. Yeah. Um, AI has said if it has the right use case can be very beneficial. But I would recommend everyone really to check that use case. Yeah. Um, and so not when we're just talking about, general yeah, argument. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So Roland, when we're talking about core systems, okay, processing, uh, one of the, I guess, if we're reimagining these things, banks have traditionally been built around products, or if you like, let's call it legal contractual products and structures, right? And they're all siloed. Um, you know, traditionally, if I sell equities, I don't really care about uh, a consumer bank or whatever that proposition might be, right? Uh, can that uh, endure uh, in, a, in a world of instant payments and instant settlement? No. Okay. So we can't go silos. So what is, what is it going to look like? So there's a lot of vendors out there that do sell kind of state-of-the-art core processing systems. Um, you know, a lot of them are themselves fintechs like Mambu or Thought Machine, these kinds of companies. Um, I, I don't need you to comment on a particular company out there, but I'm just trying to get a sense of the nature of the builds that are going to be required, the types of technologies that are going to be the priority, and how do banks start thinking about a, um, a process or a, a procedure to, to start making some meaningful changes? So I think what you're looking at is really a transition to a much different type of, of production, okay? Um, when you say um, silos, you know, there are different types of silos um, that you can look at. Um, definitely from a business perspective, it's really important that as an organization, I have visibility across an entire life cycle of a transaction as it goes through those different silos. So that's what we're talking about when we say de-siloing to create that. Because if I'm you know, a customer that is wanting to do a trade on an equity, yeah, I'm going to say buy, sell, and then that process goes all the way through right in the end to a, to a payment, okay? And to have that instant or fast, I need visibility over that entire thing. Um, so what you'll see is a much more, or, you know, where you look at the software pieces being the robots, on a production line. And then, you know, that you have to join that together in order to be just in time and to automate that process and to especially control that process. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that'll be the approach I think that is, is the most fitting because that also means it's interchangeable. Yeah. Um, very much in the same way as when I refine that product, I can just add a new tooling to the robot or I can add you know, I could change the, the, the production line quite um, in the form of modular builds. Um, but it all has to go around that just in time. And I think it's quite an interesting challenge because 
we've always been focused when it comes to digitalization on the front office or on the point of contact with the customer. Yeah. And never so much on the production part. Yeah. Which will change. Yeah. yeah. Because with instant, every customer feels any problem immediately. And that is a fundamental change. Yeah. What is, but this is also a change for, for vendors like SmartStream. I mean, you guys have been doing work with, um, with back offices around reconciliations, corporate actions, these sorts of functions for years. And you've been working in the weeds with these legacy systems. So to what extent do you guys also have to change? Uh, because I guess you're used to doing workflows with customers, clients that are, are themselves operating off of decades old uh, core systems. Yes. Um, I mean, obviously, we've also gone through a transition process where we're changing our technology stacks. Um, being someone who has so many clients, um, one of the biggest challenges was also obviously to enable those clients to come with on that journey. Um, I think that's one thing. But I think the other thing is we're in quite a unique position um, because we really, through our solutions, we tend to delve in all of these different silos or channels and bring it all together. So we're seeing obviously a change also in focus um, through, as an example, our reconciliation products. We can actually say we have some of the best quality data in a bank generally. So for us also the change is how do we make that data available to other processes within the bank? Um, how do we, you know, not only ensure that it's correct and that it's being conducted in a timely fashion, but how can we use that to improve other processes? So it's very interesting. Um, and I think we'll see, you know, I always have said for the last 20 years, there are two fundamental systems that you need in a bank. One is a, a core banking system and the other one is a really good control layer around it. Um, those are the ones that don't change very often. Yeah. yeah? Um, and when we so talk, and just to make sure I got, I got it right, what you, you, we've been talking about the core system needs to change, but the control layer itself, what's the main thing that has to happen there? Well, it has to be more flexible. It has to be more adaptable so that it's faster to bring in new controls um, because obviously, you know, speed is of the essence, um, but it also has to be much easier to integrate. Yeah. Right. And again, that's where technology plays such a big role because things like APIs on technology that was built 20 years ago is very difficult to do. Um, APIs on new technology is extremely simple. Right. So as banks do, do more embedded banking uh, or, or open banking models, ecosystem type plays. Uh, so it's not just the instant. Uh, instant is, I guess, the the thing that's challenging them right now because it's sort of ex under you know uh, people ex expect it uh but then as they build out new ways of working with customers other people in in the universe uh then th these questions will just get even more intense they do indeed and they become much more um complex you mentioned the word spaghetti before yeah a control system is 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 maybe not spaghetti, but it's more like an, an octopus with its tentacles reaching around to all other systems. Yeah. Um, and also then you have, you know, one of the advantages of ISO 20022 is you have a huge data set now, which is available, 
which you should use because we all know data is the new gold, right? Um, and, you know, that is where a control system, because it has verified that data, can be of absolute paramount importance. It's um, sheer coincidence, but we're having this conversation um, the day or the day after uh, Facebook and the entire Facebook empire was out of action for about seven hours. Uh, you, you can't, a bank can't afford to be out of action for uh, seven minutes. Um, what lessons should we learn if, if a, a big tech Silicon Valley giant like Facebook can, can have such a massive uh, problem? And we've got a situation where, you know, old legacy systems are increasingly fragile, increasing pressure to, to meet these instant demands. Um, what does a, a CTO or a Cisco officer need to uh, need to keep front in mind so that as they make these shifts, uh, they don't accidentally create more problems? Well, I think, you know, it, it's, it's really very apt that you mentioned it, and it was actually on the tip of my tongue a couple of minutes ago. Um, I think there's one thing we have to differentiate, you know, product like Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, etc., is a very big system and it's all proprietary owned by obviously Facebook. Um, when you're looking at things like clouds, and that's where you're referring to, you know, about fallouts, then you've got the likes of AWS, Google, Azure, yeah. They focus obviously very differently. Um, and especially in their financial arms, I, I think there is much less likelihood of that happening, yeah. So I do think it's important to choose again the partners that you choose to cloud to use cloud with. Um, you also have an, op an option, obviously, of using a private cloud, which is potentially the middle way. Um, and I think, you know, it would be false to say that is automatically a danger that a system goes down for seven hours if they moved, if a bank moved to a cloud. Nonetheless, it is something that can potentially happen yeah um, so again it's potentially looking at using standardized cloud technology um, maybe even spreading the risk around multiple cloud providers because it's a little bit like when you used to have your own data center you had as a, a, another data center as a disaster backup right, right? good stuff Roland Brandley, thank you so much. I, uh, I hope uh, some of our audience will be able to, to find you and your colleagues at, at Cybos and, and going forward at some of the, the big FinTech events. Uh, great having you on DigFinVox. Thank you. Thank you for having me and have a great day, all of you. Yeah, 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 yeah.